Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. This is Jordan Rich. There's an old expression, if you want to get someone's attention, just tell them a great story. The woman you're about to meet in this interview had such a great story, it was made into an Academy Award winning movie. You tell a really funny story about wherever you go. Somebody, you know, you have to show your ID. Tell that story. Oh, well, it's my tagline. Hi, I'm Aaron Brockwich, not Julie Roberts. But I mean, honestly, it's like still a problem. That's right. This is the success story of the real Erin Brockovich. Here in Boston, to speak about her work as an environmental activist, she agreed to this exclusive interview with Candy. So let's go back to the beginning, Erin. You were raised in Lawrence, Kansas. Can you paint me a picture of your childhood and what that little town was like? Well, I don't know that it's that little now. And it wasn't well, I'm that from Boston, then. so it was, okay. it's much well, littler than Boston. Have you ever heard Boston? the University of Kansas, yeah. Rock Chalk Jayhawk, okay. Go KU? That's Lawrence, Kansas. Okay, so it's not a little dot on the map. Not a little dot on the map. It's a small town in the Midwest with an amazing university. It was lovely. It was a charmed childhood. Uh, my mom, my dad football games. I remember falls and winters and snow and my friends and it was really beautiful. Was there a golden rule in your house? My parents' biggest challenge in raising me is I'm a dyslexic. You know, my dad's an engineer, so the idea that I couldn't figure math out just drove him crazy. Uh, what happened to that chromosome? It just didn't happen to drop into your no, it didn't. DNA? No. Huh? But I actually, where we didn't communicate was I get it differently. My mom was more effective as the journalist and school teacher in establishing this self-esteem that kind of unlocked it. Even my dad, when I was doing Hinkley, and he was an engineer that worked for industry that people don't realize, he ran the pipelines. He was a mechanical engineer. When I was doing Hinkley, and I'd call him and I'd say certain things, and he goes, you do get it. You were listening. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah. For my dad, the cardinal sin really was lying. He did not like deception, he did not like lies, and he would not tolerate it. So way back at the very beginning, that was sort of part of your culture in your house, that if you lied, you had deceived your family. Absolutely. And there was hell to pay, probably. Yes, there was. <laughs> um, and I, you know, typically being me, I like to challenge my parents on a lot of things, and yeah. I challenged that message from my dad, and I lied and I got caught skipping school and my mom knew and she caught me and didn't do anything about it so I thought I was home free. She went home and told my dad. So when I got home my dad just really like let me hang myself. Hey Aaron, how was your day? Oh awesome, what'd you do in school? School, oh yeah, uh, did a math test. What'd you get on your math test today? C plus, which he's like, you got a C plus in math. I don't think so. I, I understand how that feels. A C plus would have been a big victory for Absolutely. me. Absolutely, <laughs> and he knew that was a lie. Uh, and eventually, you know, he just let me go on, and he goes, "You're lying." And I mean, I was cornered. Mm. He was furious, and I got grounded for an entire school semester. Wow. It was awful. I That's mean, like no, life changing when that happens to a teenager. And you know, he stuck to it. When we talk about my mom who taught me about stick to itiveness, she must have taught that to my dad because he never backed off. He never wavered. Everything I grew up with, though, about following through, stick to itiveness, telling the truth, the greatest gifts we have are our family 
and our health and our air and land and water. You know, as a kid growing up, we don't always listen to our parents. And then when I became a parent, a little more of what they said, I'm sure. like, okay, yeah, maybe, I get it, uh-huh. And you stop yourself sometimes when you're a parent and you say, I sound exactly I like my mother. <laughs> right? But I get it. Yeah. I didn't get it so much until Hinkley, California happened, where my career began. And I stood out in this community. I saw the fear, the sorrow, the loss, the destruction of a family, green water, two-headed frogs, animals covered in tumors. None of it made sense to me. The whole swirl began of everything my family offered me. And driving home one night, I'm like, somebody's telling a lie. And it was bugging me bad. It was that night I remembered my father's letter and I went and dug it up. My dad always said, deception is our greatest downfall. And it affects every one of us. He was right. When you were making that drive home and you said something's wrong here, how much of your intuition have you used throughout your career? <laughs> That's all I use. <laughs> yeah, that little voice. Yeah. Well, you know, it is. And again, I grew up as a dyslexic, so I had my common sense. I had an amazing instinct. We all do, by the way. We're just taught not to believe it. We're taught not to use it. We forget about it because there's so much noise around us. It makes us question it. And I stay really rooted in that. And here's the thing, growing up in Kansas, when the tornado sirens went off and I was outside playing ball, I never stopped to think I should call a scientist and find out if it was an F4 or an F5. My instincts told me to run. They were right. If every one of us got a headline that our municipality was tainted with rat poison, do you stop and call someone and go, well, is the poison one part per million or is it 0.2 parts per billion? Or does common sense tell you, don't drink it? We live in a crazy world. There's a lot of noise. And until you step out and reboot, if you will, it's in that quiet space you hear your voice again. And it wasn't until I did all my work in Hinkley that I really was able to express it. Oftentimes, we don't say or speak up or speak out about things because we are afraid of being labeled. We are afraid of being judged. We are afraid of being teased or bullied. And I get that. Oh, you're dyslexic. No, 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 you're stupid. No, no, no. These things have impacts on us. And when I was challenged in Hinkley with, oh my God, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a scientist, I'm not this, I'm not that, that I realized I don't have to be any of that to be a human. And I'm connected. And green water's wrong, two-headed frogs are wrong, what's happening to these people are wrong, and I'm staying with that instinct, that common sense, that was what was grounding me. And I'll be honest with you, every time I move away from it, Something gets screwed up. Something goes wrong every time. How'd you end up in California in the first place? I'd been in a car wreck in Reno, Nevada. My ex had moved to Los Angeles, and I wanted the kids to be able to see their dad. I needed work, and I had met George. And yeah, so the story began, right? So George said, you know, hey, listen, 
the firm Mazarin Vitito. They helped me with an accident. I think they can help you. So that's how I met them. Mr. Vitito was my attorney. Mr. Mazarin, you know, promised me a lot. We went to trial in Reno and we lost. So when I went back, I said, hey, you know, he told me everything would be okay, and it's not. I believed in you, and I can work hard. I know people. I understand. Give me a job. Give me a shot. And I, he figured out some way to give me a job and set me in a corner, and I was on the phone working with people who had been injured at their employment, and I listened to them, and I heard them, and I understood them, and that's what set me off. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that I think sets you apart for me was really the essence of Aaron Brockovich, which was you're a relationship person. You're a connector. So when you went out into Hinkley... My ex-husbands might disagree with you about her being a relationship person. That is a joke you were supposed to like. Okay. But, but when you went out into Hinkley and you were talking to the people there, they let you into their homes they told you their stories because you asked them the right questions. And then you sat back and you shut up and you listened. A lot of that goes to my, my dad. And when I got in trouble in the letter he wrote me, it was about respecting others, yeah. respecting people, about building trust. And that's what we've lost. And we don't trust anymore. We don't know who to trust because we've been so deceived. That's devastating. You know, I think that the reason why that case was such a success, and it is the largest settlement in the history of the United States, $333 million settlement, I think it's because of the due diligence you did to not only listen to the stories, but to put them down on paper, yep. follow through on each and every one yep. of them. Okay. Along comes Hollywood and says, <laughs> hey there, Aaron Brockovich, we want to make a movie about you. Yeah. Take me back to that moment. Well, it was a fluke, and the, and the movie actually began with a friend of mine by the name of Pam Dumond. I really had a car wreck. I had ongoing problems, and my sister, who's a retired professional ballerina from the New York Civic Ballet and retired from Chicago Civic, became an acupuncturist, and she believed that I needed some acupuncture and cranial therapy mm -hmm. and knew of Pam Dumond and knew that she moved to California and recommended that we find her and I go get treatments, which I did. Now, if you've ever had cranial treatment, it's like somebody gave you tin volume. You, you're pretty loopy when you leave. <laughs> so she would work on me and ask me stories about the family, the kids. You know, that's a short skirt. What, what's the dirt all over your high heels for? And then I'd tell her what I was doing and collecting dead frogs and this chemical. And she would laugh. She'd go... I hear you come rolling in, you know, with your short little mini skirt on, you're blasting, you got a headache, you got a car seat in there, you got all these files, you're talking about accidental chromium and this. <laughs> so what I didn't know was she was sharing my stories with her other client, Carla Schomburg, who was married to Michael Schomburg, who was Danny DeVito's partner at Jersey Films. So one day Pam asked if I would meet Carla, and then she lets me know that that she's been sharing all my stories. She said, would you like to meet Carla? And I'm like, whatever. I mean, like, I'm thinking anything's going to happen. And I met Carla, which was hysterical because Carla's the most graceful, petite, five-foot, elegant woman. 
and here I come, chewing my gum, dropping the F-bombs in my stilettos at 6-1, ringing her doorbell, and she kind of looked around and she goes, am I on candid camera? And I'm like, yeah, no, you're not. Um, and so that's how the whole thing began. It was, it was flipped. It was weird. I never thought it was going to happen. So let's talk about Julia Roberts. I'm going to guess, but I want to hear from you, that she probably needed to spend some time with you to learn your mannerisms and to jump into the character that is the real Erin Brockovich. Did that happen or no? No. How did she get you? Because I think she got you pretty well. I mean, I'm meeting you for the very first time, and she certainly got your sass. She certainly got your I'm not taking no for an answer stick to Probably because that's already who she is at her core. She grew up in what, Georgia? Yeah. She's probably just, you know, been through her own trials and tribulations, uh-huh. as we all have been. She followed through and stuck with it. So I think she knew. Yeah. I think she cares about the environment. Mm. I think she cares as a mother and a sister and a woman and understood children's suffering. So my understanding from Steven Soderbergh was that he didn't want her to meet me because he didn't want her to just mimic me. Uh-huh. He wanted her to understand it. I think she already did. And yeah. Obviously she did, and, and she gave a great performance. You tell a really funny story about wherever you go. Somebody, yeah. you know, you have to show your ID. Tell that story. Oh, well, it was my tagline. Hi, I'm Aaron Brockwich, not Julie Roberts. But, I mean, honestly, it's like... <laughs> Still a problem to this day. I'll show my ID and they're like, oh, you're Aaron Brockovich. That's the name of the film. Yes, I'm the real one. Yeah, no, there's not a real one. There's a Julia Roberts. And, you know, so I'm standing here arguing with people going, am I real or am I not? I'm like, this is crazy. (laughs) All right, so just for the sake of this interview, can you explain to us, what Pacific Gas and Electric was doing in Hinkley. Yes, Pacific Gas and Electric is a gas compressor plant. And you have pipelines that were coming in from El Paso, Texas. Pipelines like the ones your dad Yes, yes. Crazy, okay. Right? Gas pipelines. And they're pushing gas along the pipeline to transport it to its next stop. So it would come in from El Paso who pushed it to Topak, and then Topak would push it to Barstow, and then Barstow would push it up into the Central Valley to get gas up the line. You have these huge piston engines, like your car, that have got to work to push the gas. They need water. Water rusts and corrodes. So they used a chemical called hexavalent chromium because it is a cheap, effective, anti-rust corrosion inhibitor. They put it in in the machines and the water and it generated the hazardous waste. They dumped it into unlined ponds and that water seeped into the aquifer and the community's wells pulled from that aquifer and unbeknownst to them they were drinking high levels of hexavalent chromium over long periods of time, and they actually did see the water was a different color, but they thought they lived out in this wonderful land and there was minerals that were good for you. Nobody told them what it was. So when you arrived 
it was because there were all sorts of cases of cancer in this area. People were getting sick all over the place. And like you said, green water, two-headed frogs, something's definitely wrong here. There's a very famous scene in the movie, and I'm wondering if it really happened. And that's the one where Julia Roberts says to one of the guys from Pacific Gas, and electric. What would you pay for a uterus, Mr. So-and-so? Do you remember that scene? Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. These days, more and more people are working from home. When your computer breaks down, you lose business. This is Dave Elmasian, president of TechHelpBoston.com. Our tech experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer. Same day, next day, and weekends too. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted us since 2000. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. Oh yeah, there's there's quite Walk a few me through things that. I can What share. was that like? Well, it's just um, it annoyed that me. That was probably during discovery or something. Right? Oh, it was. Yeah. yeah, I had more. I had such a learning experience. You know, how the law works, yeah. the importance of the law, how it's applied, everything that they have to go through to get this to trial. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't figure this out until really 10, 12 years after the film, where I can look back now and go. What was making me so feel so indignant? And I can tell you, it took me right back to my childhood. Yes. It took me right back to my dyslexia. It took me right back to because I was different, I was labeled, I was judged. People wanted me or convinced me that I was something that I wasn't. And here I had this, and I'm like, how dare you do that to these people? You haven't been there. You haven't experienced it. You can't convince them what they've seen, what I've seen, what they've gone through isn't real. Tell me how you felt the day that judgment came down. Well, I felt very relieved for them. And what did those people say to you? Well, a lot of us are still friends today. Many of them have died. Thank you. They did this. I wouldn't be where I'm at had they not stood up yeah. and they did so you know Aaron Brockovich has never been about me and it never will be mm -hmm. it's about all of us it's about the stories of the people mm -hmm. and you uncovered the truth mm -hmm. which has been important to you since the day your father said there will be no deception in this house they were close to knowing that, but see, they got the pushback, they got the suppression, and we're the big guns. And that's where I learned when I was younger. I just wasn't consciously making the connection what I was doing until I got out into Hinkley. And I felt indignant for them because it's like, wait a minute, you're being labeled and judged and put in a box and... Okay, let me get this straight. So if I'm not a PhD, or if I don't have a scientist, or I'm not a doctor, or I'm not a politician, or I'm not a state agency, I guess, therefore, I have no right to say anything. I am sorry. The water's green. There's two-headed frogs. People are sick. Something's not right. For them, it was a learning curve for them as well, too, to find that voice because they were pushed back on. Be quiet. Go away. You're wrong. That isn't real. Forget it. It's not Chrome 6. It's total Chrome. It's in your breakfast cereal. It's good for you. Buy the BS. I'm getting a chance to meet you today because <laughs> you're here in Boston to support an organization that's very, very close to my heart. And I know you're asked to speak all across the country. 
but when you found out about the Find the Cause Breast Cancer Foundation, I get the feeling that you said, I'm coming to Boston with both hands up because we have to find the cause. And I think you really identified with this particular charity and their mission. Talk about that. The group is amazing, and what resonates with me is the cause. And they will forever be, for me, known as the cause. See, they're looking the right place. We want a cure. We're not going to find the solution until we know the cause. You are an environmental activist. Can you bring our listeners up to date on what you're doing? With you have a you have a, a research company. You are going all around the world. People send you ten thousand emails a day. I'm having a hard time keeping up. I'll be very honest with you. I've, we all are, which is why I created what I call the Community Health Book, which I think is very important. I understand science enough. You know, we need data. They need data. The more the are exposed, the more that have something, the more they're going to learn. And it's really all about numbers. We're missing people. Uh, they move away. I learned that in Hinkley. That's the very first thing that I did in Hinkley was, and, and to the group, the cause. <laughs> um, when I was involved in Hinkley, I read a document dated 1991 that said the hexavalent chromium levels were still 5 ppm, which I knew was hazardous waste. And they went on to say that 90% of the hex chrome had already been removed via agricultural and domestic use. So I thought, wait a minute, if it's 1991 and it's still 5 ppm today and 90% has been removed, what was it back when? Go find the cause. Because back when, the hexavalent chromium levels were 60 ppm. That information changes science. And then to go find the people, when I got out there in the 90s, oh my gosh, who lived here in 1975? Who lived here in 1979? Who was here in 1982? I went to find them. That became my mission. And lo and behold, when I did, they had the same disease as the people in the community. And things just started to make sense to me. So I've created the Community Health Book as a way and a place for people to self-report. We're missing data sets because we don't self-report, and here's why. Nobody's monitoring migratory pathways. I don't meet somebody and say, where do you live? Everybody I meet, I'm like, where are you from? The cause, where are you from? I, I learn a lot of information that way. So. We don't monitor that. We don't come back and check on the health and the welfare of people and where we have known Superfund sites. And most importantly, information does not get shared because of HIPAA. So there's all these data sets that are not in one location in a national registry, which, by the way, Obama, before he left office, created what's called Trevor's Law, within the Toxic Substance Control Act that states the government needs to create a national registry base. See, we don't see the big picture because everybody's holding their little sets of information everywhere. Where can we deposit that? And through self-reporting, we're able to find that. And so that's why I created Community Health Book as a way for us to find each other. It's the, it's the Facebook of health, if you will. 
Wow. You know, I I always wish very I often. I that wasn't boring. No, that was not boring at all. I always wish whenever I'm doing an interview like this one for the story behind her success that, you know, I, I need to bring video cameras in the room because <laughs> you are so passionate and you are so animated. I'm going to ask you a couple questions that we ask everyone who sits where you are today. When an obstacle is in your path, how does Aaron Brockovich get around it? So when I hit that obstacle, sometimes I step back. I go back to my observation and I'm like, so if I'm not meeting this head on, hmm, I'm going to go around you. I'm going to go over you. I'm going to go under you. Because behind that, I'm going to find that answer. Don't just keep beating your head against the wall. Back it up and go, hmm, let me look at this another way. How do I get around that? What's your greatest strength? Oh, I have no idea. Um, stick-to-itiveness. Well, stick-to-itiveness, for sure. I wouldn't have thought of that as a, a great strength. Um, empathy. If you could give another woman one piece of advice, mm -hmm. something that you learned the hard way, mm -hmm. what would that be? Believe in yourself. Be your own hero. That, that's where everything begins. You know, I don't want us to determine who we are based on what somebody thinks of us or how we're judged or what we wear, but I, on who we are, our character, and to stop listening to all the noise. And I know we as women do because I've fallen into that same trap. I am more empowered and more inspired and more comfortable just being myself. And it's flawed, it's not perfect, my hair is a mess, I break it off, I gain weight, I lose weight, I'm stressed, I'm not the best mother, I wasn't the best wife, you're not this, you're that. And I'm like, stop! What do you think your mom and dad would think about Erin Brockovich right now? Well, I can tell you, I, I know for a fact, um, both my mom and dad died in my arms and they both said we're really proud of you so. I hear you and I know how that feels I know how that feels I feel so silly crying but no. they said we're really proud of you and that meant a lot and it and still yeah. means a lot and Absolutely. I bet you replay that all the time <laughs> in my head I do and all I just, the time I don't know sometimes I'm just a silly goopy person and I just I think we all like to think we're different and we're not we all love our families and our health, and we don't want anyone we love to suffer. And I think we're all looking for answers, and I just, we're all in this together. You've got an acronym. It's called RAM. RAM, yeah. As we close out this wonderful interview, I know can I'm you... I blubbering. This is just ridiculous. As we close out this interview together, can you tell our listeners what is RAM? Leave them with a little inspiration. RAM is the realization, assessment, and motivation of one's self. Um, I came up with RAM because of stick to and you know, my mom always telling me to be strong, and what could I give through what I've learned is almost a, a tool of empowerment. You know, I had a long talk with myself in the mirror, good, bad, or indifferent. Once I realized that I could, it became a cyclical because the more I realized I could, the more I did. And the more I did, the more I could. And it became very empowering. So realize who you are. Assess who you are. And don't be afraid to look at your flaws. 
We all need motivation to keep going, but there's a trick to it, and that is to stop and take time for self-renewal. We are living in a crazy world. Everything is spinning faster and faster and faster, and I am sucked up in that same world, and it isn't until you can stop. Stop. Get off social media for a day. Step back. Reboot. Breathe. Are you checking to see if you're breathing? Because when you do, and you hear the birds, or you take a walk along the beach, or you smell fresh cut grass, or feel the warmth of the sun, and you're silent, you'll hear your voice. And that is empowerment. Thank you so much for being our guest this week on the story behind her success. Erin Brockovich, thanks so much. Thanks for having me and letting me cry. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. This is a new series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. Connect with Candy anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?